Hey, everybody, this is Brad Gillis from Night Ranger, and you're checking out Focus on Metal right here with Richie and Scott. You're going to love it. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of that which we call Focus on Metal. Hope you enjoyed last week's show with our talk with Scott Alderman. And if you haven't done so already, you probably want to at least go back, check out that episode all about the uh, Tattoo the Earth tour, all the behind-the-scenes crap and everything the guy went through to bring that into the U.S., and uh, there's a book you can get for that as well, Caravan of Pain, the true story behind the Tattoo the Earth tour. Also, a uh, pretty good deal to get that. Lots of good stuff and even dig in deeper than what we talk about in the interview. So, uh, you know, good stuff there. If you haven't already, go back and check that one out. But this week, we have something completely different. And uh, no, we don't have Brad Gillis on again, but it does in some odd way relate back to Brad Gillis and if you listen to the whole thing all the way through towards the tail end you'll find out why because I'm just in that kind of mood right now to to not tell you right up front so if we don't have Brad on the show this week who do we have on well we have on drummer David Huff that's right uh, Dan Huff's brother and one of the guys who was uh, in the classic lineup of Giant and continues to be in Giant, and we have David on the show this week primarily to talk about the new Giant album, Shifting Time, that came out at the tail end of January on Frontiers. And also, since this is uh, 2022, this is also the 30th anniversary of Giant's release, Time to Burn. So we'll be talking to David about the new Giant album. We'll do a little bit of retrospective on the 30-year-old Giant album, Time to Burn, and we'll follow that up with what he is up to these days besides Giant. And that's when the whole Brad Gillis connection comes in. I could have put an open ID in the beginning for uh, Billy Sheehan as well, because it's the same tie-in. And I know you're saying, well, why didn't you just put a Dan Huff ID up front? Uh, you know, sometimes Richie gets really involved in the interview, forgets to actually say, hey, mind if we cut an ID? And so I uh, know Dan Huff ID, so that's why that's not up front. And, you know, before we just dive into the interview as well, just want to just make a quick comment on the audio and that uh, Richie is still working out some of the technical issues with uh, the new recording method. And so sometimes you're getting things where he's low or you've had other things where things are spiking. And so this week you do have a little bit of crackle, hiss, some popping in there. And I think some of it was probably David doing other things as well, but some of it is some kind of squelch and artifacts happening. But we're trying to dial it in, and I do go through the whole thing and do my best to get rid of as much of it as possible. But uh, there is still, still some of it there, so just, yeah, I know it's not up to what we usually have, but uh, still, it's I think it sounded pretty decent, and we're hoping to uh, get better and better with it as time goes on. In my opinion, for a non-technical person like Richie, I think that he's actually uh, really dialed this in um, a lot faster than I thought he was. So, uh, you know, good on him. So with that, a little bit of a brief uh, apology, not apology, why don't we dive into this week's chat with 
David Huff of Giant. Hey, Richie, what's up, bud? Hey, David. Where, where are you in the States? Oh, I'm in Nashville. Oh, you're in Nashville. Okay. Yeah. You, you said you, you said in the text there you'd lost your voice. I'm thinking, you know, we, we had the Super Bowl on Sunday or something like that. And you're shouting <laughs> your head off. <laughs> well, that too. Okay. When you were with Giant in the late 80s, early 90s, did you make it to the UK? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah we, we, uh, we actually made our... Our, our first record there, we lived in London and, uh, and recorded for like, we actually recorded for three months in London. Okay. And, uh, we did a lot of stuff over there. We did a lot of stuff in Germany. Um, and we toured a ton over there. Never in Ireland though, man. I mean, I don't know why. There's a couple of spaces, you know, never toured in Italy or Ireland or Japan, which is really strange. Yeah, it's weird you mentioned Japan there. I, I thought with the style of music you have that Japan would have definitely been one of the places you would have got to. I know, I know. I, I have no idea why. Okay. You know. Okay. So and we're going to get into the into the album. I've got some general questions. And then I wouldn't mind spending a couple of minutes talking about Time to Burn. If that's 30 years, it's 30 years old this year. If you can that's right, that. man. Yeah. I, yeah. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Yeah, man. Yeah. Fire away, bro. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears for you, bro. Okay. So... The general question I have, and I've been, I've been asking guitarists this, and I've asked a few drummers, um, do you collect drums? I do. I actually do. Okay. What's the oldest drum kit you have? Well, the, the, you know, I, I had a bunch of old, I had a bunch of kits, and I, I only have two now. I I sold two, I had I think I had 12, I sold two, and, and I, I gave away uh, eight kits just to, to people that needed it, right? And and so I have the first kit that I ever bought. I borrowed money from my parents. I borrowed two thousand dollars from my parents to buy this studio, this Pearl drum kit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there, it's not a collector's item. It's just it's something special to me because I bought it when I was a, I think I was a, a sophomore or junior in high school. So that's a lot of money back then, you know. And and uh, so I only have those kits. But my my oldest drum I have, but is is it beautiful it's a snare drum i'll tell you a story behind it it's a 1931 soft shell nickel brass snare drum and it's it's beautiful i mean it, it's it's i don't know what it's worth but it's very valuable and and uh i have a i used to rent out before one before i could get on the sessions as a drummer in la i used to rent out my kit and this is part of the i found this this snare drum that all these drummers you know we're using like i used to rent my kit out to Stuart copeland and tristan bowden from chicago and all that all those all the big drummers in la right yeah and um and uh, a cool story about this snare drum is uh steve gad who's who was one of my idols growing up uh used this drum on a tour with eric clapton and he called me from the road and said hey david you know i got a call from steve gad personally and he said he wanted to buy it I said, man, you can use this drum as long as you want to use it. I just can't sell it. And he was cool. He used it on the tour, but but uh, I didn't want to sell it. So I'll, I'll text you a picture of it. Okay. Were you ever nervous, David, about letting some of your kid out? Because when I talked to some guitarists, I'd, you know, they'd have some of the most prized guitars at home, but there's no way yeah. they'd bring it out on the road. And here's you lending it out to someone. Like, there has to be a lot of trust there. You've got to be a little bit nervous that something might happen to it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, I have a philosophy. There's another guy, a really close friend of mine, 
named John McBride. He and he's uh, married to Martina McBride, who's a country artist, a big country artist, and he's a friend of mine. And he has the same kind of philosophy. I don't. We didn't come up with it together, but we we, we share the same philosophy. He has millions of dollars of, of gear over at his world class studio, and you know people he trusts. He basically goes, he, you know, if you get to run the mill, you can use. I can use anything over at his studio. My brother can, and. His philosophy is this. He goes, these instruments were made to be on records. It, it would be a sin to put them under glass, you know? Yeah. And so they're on all these great songs. They're, they're creating creating memories in just music and instead of sitting under glass. So, we, we you know, we, we kind of look at it a little bit differently. Okay. Okay. The other question I've been asking all the drummers, and I've got a wide range of answers to this. What's yeah. the worst drum-related injury you've ever had? <laughs> um. Uh, mine's comical, bro. Uh, we were shooting a giant video. It was, I think it was stay. Might have been, I think it was stay. We were on a beach and I was, you know, we were in the, 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 you know, wardrobe, yeah, I guess whatever trailer. And I was waiting, I was getting, getting ready. Right now. I flipped my drumsticks, kind of warming up and I flipped the drumstick and the tip hit me right in the eyeball <laughs> wow. and, it, and it, and it cut. The, uh, it was like a small tear in my cornea, so I couldn't see. And my eye was watering, so I had to wear sunglasses. It, we shot the video, and I had to wear sunglasses because my eye was watering. It was swell, swelled up, and I couldn't see anything. <laughs> so it was self, self-inflicted, self-inflicted injury. Okay, you, you've never had rotator cough or anything like that. Like I'd speak to someone like Carmine or Vinnie Apice, and they said over time, the wear and tear, they'd have shoulder issues. No, uh, not yet, man. I mean, you know. Okay. Knock on wood, no, no. That that was my mine was comical. Mine was self inflicted, unfortunately. I'll have to go back and watch that video now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was I had sunglasses on. I, I literally could not see. And I you know, it looked like I was crying. I was like, Man, I can't see anything. Okay. That's yeah, pretty funny. Okay. So let's talk about the new record, Shifting Time. Um it's been yeah. a long time since Giant did a record. Um the, I gotta ask when Frontiers came to you with this idea. Did they did they want your brother back in the band or maybe Alan as well to get the original lineup? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, they always wanted Dan. Uh, you know, nothing against Alan. I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, we all know Dan was like the the face of the band, and and I think they, you know, they always wanted my brother, and and uh, you know, just you know, everybody asked me, you know, why he's not in it. it he just he couldn't commit to any time on it. It's hard for any of us to commit time to something because we're all producing records and you know playing on records, but he just couldn't commit the time to it. And and he also hadn't sung for thirty years, so he's not you know he he never intended to to come back to, as a singer because I mean you know that's a, that's a muscle you got to keep in shape, right? So um, so yeah, I get asked that all the time, you know, and, and it's just it's just simple as that. It's just economics, you know, in time. Yeah, that's all it is. He hasn't sung in 30 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we did a giant uh, kind of like a little tribute be- for a friend who lost his house in a fire, and and you know, Dan said, "Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we wanted to help this guy out, right? To you know, get him some you know you know some a charitable funding just to help him get back on his feet." And uh, Dan was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." He said, "I can't sing," and. And we found the guy, uh, Mike, the bass player, found found a singer that came in and did it and did a great job. And and uh, it was fun. You know, it was, you know, Dan and I, I don't know if you noticed it, we're best friends. We work together 
we have worked together and still work together every single week of our life since uh, my ninth grade year in high school. So we're we're always working together. We see each other all the time. He's supposed to stop over here any minute, by the way. And you know, I mean, people ask all the time. You know, you know, if if, if it's still giant or whatever, whatnot, and and, uh, and and it is. I mean, Dan loves this this new lineup. He loves it. And he thinks it's it's he has nothing but you know, total blessings and support and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Did you even think that once you cranked up the machine again, that he might change his mind and get more involved? Or did you know straight away that, look, it's just not going to happen? No, I mean, not not where he is in life, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's it's kind of, you know, it's just it's just hard, you know. It, it's not, that, that was a different time, you know, in, in life. Economics, you know, rock was on the charts here in the U.S., it was, you know, the top of the charts, and and the seismic shift in music with the bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam just changed the face of music. And you know, you either evolve or or you die. You know, you become extinct like dinosaurs. And and uh, I mean, it, it it's kind of encouraging because it looks like you know this music is is getting a little surge again, which is which is very very cool because it's such a great form of art. You know, it's very powerful. So. Yeah, so you know, I mean, I, I wish I wish we could go back, and you know, I wish we had the, you know, I wish it was economically as fruitful as it was, because it would probably be a different story. And I know that sounds like it's all about money, but it's not. It has to be. It's just business. I mean, it, it's hard to to do something like this full time when you when you got a full time job, you know, in music. We we make a ton of records every year, and, it, and it's it's hard, you know. Yeah. But there's there there still is a passion, you know. There's. And and I'm very close with Sheriff Fino from the label, and I gotta admit, man, he has got an undying love for rock and roll, and I, I respect that so so much. Hmm. Now I've I've interviewed all the guys in Winger, and they uh-huh. all rave about John Roth. Um, oh, he's yeah, he's great. He, he, like even when I spoke to Red Beach, like he was raving about how good a player he was. But in a lot of ways, he's underrated in that band because they have Reb in it, but. You know, you've played with John now on a couple of records. Can can you talk about like playing with him? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's I I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, first of all, when you're coming into you know it's a situation where you got a world class guitarist like my brother, it's you know you can't replace him. You know, and and to John's credit, he came in, he he became himself, and you know, but he also has a lot of respect for Dan and. He just handled it with class. You know, he's he's so musical. He's very he's very rock, but he's very bluesy, like my brother. You know, my brother is a great rock player, but he's he's very rhythmic. He's very uh, bluesy, like Jeff Beck. You know, it's like this is like that. So John fits that bill, and uh, he, I mean, he's a great singer. He's a great player, and he's just a, and you know, on top of all that, he's a great human being. So I mean, yeah, he should, he should get a lot more credit. I mean, that dude is just he's just. He's rock solid, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about the singer on the record, but you did records with Terry Brock. And, of course, he's not on this one. Is there any particular reason why? There's no reason, no. Um, uh, we did one record with Terry. And, I, I, you know, once again, I think it's all about timing. 2010, 11, around that part time when it came out. And there just wasn't a lot of uh, feedback, you know, a lot of love for it. It just didn't seem like there was demand for Giant. And and uh and so we just kinda it just 
just kind of all fell back into our you know day jobs making records and and then i got a call a few years ago from serafino said hey man we'd love to do a giant record there seems to be a little bit more under undercurrent you know with rock and roll right now and and uh and and he goes you know i have a suggestion for a singer and he, he mentioned it and he had mentioned kent and i was like he sent me a video of, of a cover of, of stay i think it was stay and it might have been i can't remember what song it was but and and i went well i'd seen this like the year before it's kind of weird it's almost like it was meant to be and and i and i said i love this guy's voice and the one thing he was open to being in it and i called kent and listened to some more of his stuff and and i was like oh my gosh i love this guy because he's a awesome rock singer but he's also got soul like my brother my brother had was like you know came from the lou graham kind of school you know maybe um paul rogers mm -hmm. you know in rock and roll they have a little bit of a soulful singer and and uh so and, and uh, ken is like that ken's an incredible singer man and, yeah. and and once again incredible guy too just yeah. you know just kind of fit yeah now where is he based he's in sweden okay okay yeah so one of the things i noticed when i put the record on right is Lot, you you and Mike didn't really get involved in, in the songwriting that much on this, if at all. That Kent has a lot of songwriting credits, and it's mostly Alessandro Del Vecchio with outside songwriters. What, was that an easy thing to let go and not get involved with the songwriting and have someone else present the songs to you? Uh, it, 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 yeah, it wasn't that hard. I mean, you know, it comes down to time. This is, this is good, you know, for us to sit and write like we used to, uh, we, we couldn't give the time and and uh and you know and alessandro is such an incredible musician and he has a t has a team i mean like i said we haven't written for giant in years and he's got a team assembled all over the place and and it just kind of was we talked i talked to alessandro a lot about songs and kind of direction and and uh he just he had the, the, the team in place and 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 so we just kind of pick you know pick from songs as, as a collective group and it was not hard, man, you know, because cause it's kind of hard to dive back in. We write songs that were in different kind of genres. And, you know, it's like it's like you got to have the right team, bro, to, to, to get stuff done. And what would have taken us two years to write, you know, you know they, just, they do it on a daily basis, which is great. So when you're getting the song from Alessandro, what is he giving you? Is he giving you, like, the basic outline, an instrumental with a drum machine and asking you to play to that, or how much freedom do you have to put your own style stamp on the songs? Uh, we, we had, oh, no, he, he does, he does some pretty laid out demos, you know what I mean? And he's, he's a, he's a, you know, I call him a Swiss army knife. He can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Swiss army knife of, of music. No, he sends pretty, pretty constructed demos. You know, I'm a producer, so, I, I I arrange stuff too, so you know we have we have to, we had total liberty to kind of chase what kind of you know stuff we wanted to changes and and he was incredibly just giving to the team you know because because he knew it was a giant record it wasn't his solo thing you know I would never do that on, a, on someone else's solo project and so it came very well constructed we we made our changes that felt you know Mike and I felt that that fit giant and and went from there. Okay. Was there any track in particular that stands out that there was a lot of going back and forth on it before you you, you got the finished product done? Um. No. Not you know. Not nothing that st stood out. I yeah. mean, 
you know, we, we, you know, if you change change some arrangements uh, up here and there, you know, and it's just typical. It's what I do every day. I produce records all the, all over the world. It's like that's just what I do every day. So, you know, I, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. So I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the, the specific. I just, you know, the funny thing is, it's like music is just it's just air to my soul, you know, and I just dive in. I don't look at like, hey, you know, hey, I did this, you know, Pat. I, we just do it for whatever is right for the song for the artist is is kind of like our motto, and, and we just kind of go there and just, you know, kind of change it for that, you know. Mm. But we but we honor the song. We always honor the song. You know, we stay true to what the song is. And yeah, man. Yeah, the the one thing I will say about this album, and I'm, I'm holding it in my hand. I got the vinyl right. It, oh, it, nice. it, it sounds like the early giant records. The songs sound like very similar and the actual sound of the of the album sounds like your first two records. The the guitar sound and even Kent's vocals, it, it it it's it just fits right in that niche there. Good man, I appreciate you saying that. Very grateful for that. Um yeah, I mean you know, we 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 try to to stay true to the giant brand. You know, from from the, the get go, the songs to the to the recording of it, and you know, I mean, you, you can't. We we don't ever try to replicate one of the first two records. You can't do that. But we wanted to stay on brand, and and thanks for saying that because that 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 means that I think we hit hit the goal that we wanted to. Hmm. Now you do have Dan playing on one song. Um, why that one? I just felt I just felt that was a different kind of solo that just kind of just. He just cried out for Dan, and, okay. and uh, and I called him. I said, "Hey, man, you know, make another giant record, and you know, love for you being involved. How much you can." He's, I mean, he's, he's just he's the best. He's the best human being on this planet, bro. I'm just, you know, he's the, happens to be my brother. But and and, and we worked on it together. We just had it. We just have a great time. In, anything we do musically, but this this is special because it's you know it's a, it's a band that we started. You know and. It just it just gave him room to kind of shred, and it was just it was just, it was just that song cried out for it to me. Okay, okay. I just want to spend a couple of minutes, David, talking about "Time to Burn." That's thirty yeah. years old. And um, wow. I've spoken to a couple of guys that have worked with Terry Thomas, uh, Brian Helby, one, uh, Brian Weed to be another with Tesla. Oh, yeah. um, what did you learn from him as regards producing and songwriting? Man, you, you know, a lot. Um, it, it, one piece of advice for any artist, and this is hard for us to learn, but we learned it pretty quickly. You know, we were all producers. We produced all our demos, and, and we got, you know, enough to get a record deal. Um, but when you're an artist, it's important to have an unbiased outside view, uh, you know, like a board of directors. You need to have somebody that's not inside it that can give you unbiased viewpoint, and you know, not that he's always right, not that Terry was always right, but but man, his his, his perspective on us, and we you know we were so in inside of it because we wrote it and we were arranging it and playing it, and we were the band. So he he, he let us having a producer like that. First of all, he, he's got great ears, great guitarist, great singer. He he gave us the opportunity to become a band as opposed to trying to produce, trying to do everything. It, and it's a lot, man. It's a lot to, you know, to, to, sh- to shed all those roles and become the artist. And that was important to us. That That's the biggest thing we learned. It's like having his outside view was, was incredibly, it was impeccably, 
you know, it, it, it was just a gift. It was a gift. And we, and we really learned quickly, like, oh, my gosh, how valuable is Terry to this band, you know? Hmm. It's a, I remember the one thing Brian Howe said to me was how, how easy it was to write songs with the guy. The guy just oh, yeah. Had, the guy just had songs coming out of his ears. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, I, I don't know, I don't think we wrote with him, he, um, because he was, he was producing Bad Company, and so I can't remember who else Farner. he came from. He did, he did Farner, I think, just that before this. Yeah, record. there you go. And, uh, yeah, so, so he would come from, from those records, and we'd already had songs, I think, pretty much done, and, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but just, just, just his personality, and, and it, it was just, he had his, his just perspective on things was really great. Hmm. Sweetheart guy. I mean, just salt of their gem of a person too, man. Okay. Um, how did you end up working with him in the first place? Was it your idea? Uh, it was, I believe it was our manager, at the, you know, Bud Prager. I think Bud, well, Bud was managing Borner and, and uh, I think he, he might have been managing Bad Company or... I think you're right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he he said, you know, he said this may be a good idea. You know, just check, you know, see what chemistry works out. And I'll tell you a funny story. We started our first giant record in L.A. We all lived in L.A. And I remember recording. I can't remember some studio in Santa Monica, tracking. And you know, we kind of just went in as individuals. Kind of, we track a little bit, then we work on stuff individually. Um, everybody would, would be doing jingles or different sessions and, and Terry got really frustrated. We, we cut three songs and Terry just, you could tell he got really frustrated and he goes, I don't want to record here in the U S and we were like, what? And he goes, man, this is, it's too disjointed. So he goes, I want, I want to go back and record in London. And, and and we didn't get it at the time, but, but as soon as we flew over there and started going, Oh my God! Now I know how. how what a great idea! Because now we lived, ate, and slept as a band. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We and we became a band because of that. And we made records like that. The first two records we made like that. Which and it was that was Terry's idea. It wasn't ours. Mm. Was that the first time you were ever in London? No, no, not no. I went to London when I was 17 with my dad. Okay. So, so you, no, you knew what to expect then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I love I love traveling. I traveled. You know, I toured for, with many different artists, as did my brother, and, and we we got we were lucky. We got to travel all over the world. Okay, so when you when you did Time to Burn, was there anything different you wanted to do on that one than the debut album? Uh, it was different, um, because, uh, in in the fact that we recorded in Memphis, Tennessee, of all places. Uh, but no, we, we lived in, uh, one of our, our, you know, friends owned the Peabody Hotel in the studio, which is called House of Blues right now. Um, but it was called Kiva Studios back then. So we just, we went down there and we lived in Memphis. It was, it was awesome, man. It was, uh, it was the same kind of experience, but just different country. Okay. Okay. So there was nothing really different as regards the direction of the songs or the sound of the record that the label might have been pushing you a little bit because grunge was on the up. No, you know we were. I don't know if it's because we we're in our own world. I mean, we had, we had, we toured a ton on that first record, and we, you know, I I can I'll speak for myself. I was not aware of the grunge, you know, record, the timing of everything. I didn't I didn't know what was going on, mm. and it came out and. 
I guess we had just put out our record in, you know, in, in the Pearl Jam and Nirvana were just, you know, just slamming everything. So, um, but we also had switched, switched labels. So we were, you know, busy doing that. You know, uh, we went from A&M to Sony. Yeah. And, uh, so I think we, we were pretty distracted what was going on in the world, you know, so we didn't, we didn't, we didn't see that tsunami coming to say the least. <laughs> what, what other bands did you go out with back then? You would have been supporting, wouldn't you? You would have been opening. Well, I mean, we, oh, oh, with Giant, we, yeah. um, uh, well, our first concert we played was with Heart. So we went on a huge tour with Heart and, um, we played with, uh, White Snake, um, Bad, uh, bad um, English. Okay. Uh, we did some shows with Brian Adams, and we did a couple things with Elton John over in Europe, and a couple big festivals, and uh, just bands like that. We we toured with Peter Peter Frampton for just a little bit. Um, yeah, we, we we it was a hodgepodge. I can't remember some other ones, but yeah, it was stuff like that. It was it was it was a gas, man. It was yeah. really cool. David, let's talk about the dr- some of the drummers in those bands because. You know, you're on tour and you tend to gravitate towards the guy who plays your instrument in other bands. So did you get a chance to sit down with Denny Carmassi or Tommy Aldridge or Dean Castronovo at all? Yeah, De- Denny and Dean, yeah. I mean, I, I was a huge Denny fan anyway. You know, God, he, and what a great drummer. And, uh, and Dean, yes, absolutely, man. I mean, and then Tommy, I, I'd watch Tommy and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's what a rock drummer looks and sounds like right yeah. there it's pretty inti- pretty intimidating how good how good those guys were yeah you, you, you know? even see videos now of tommy and he's in his 70s and he's still brilliant yeah i mean it's, it's a, he's a showman you know and a great player but he's just a showman and, and i was like wow yeah we, I, I would sit there and just you know and you know i'm a sponge i just learn i learn from everybody you know we learn from i learn from the guitar players because i'm a producer so i i love i grew up with a guitar player and brother so i respect where drums fit and where guitars fit and and where the music fits you know what i'm saying so i learned from everybody hmm. this is carl kennedy from the Rods, and you're listening to focus on metal so how long have you been living in nashville well you know i grew up in nashville okay like third grade on moved to la a couple of times and and uh so I've, I've lived here a long time um you know what i i have i have this love affair with nashville and la i've when I was in, grew up in Nashville, I used to travel to L.A. to work, and then I moved to L.A. and I would commute back and forth. And I, I worked on American Idol for two or three years, and and I lived in Nashville at the time, and would fly out there every single week to work. So I mean, it, there's both both places are incredibly valuable to me, my musical my musical life, hmm. very valuable. David was was Nashville always like this center of music that it is now. Or can you just point, can you say to yourself, right, 15 years ago, it definitely started because of this album, or was it always there? Well, you know, you know, it's funny you ask that, because um, being from Nashville and moving to L.A. and or working in L.A., the the perspective of Nashville from other, other states was pretty, um, what's the right word, um, patronizing you know what i'm saying they, they they didn't look at nashville as an equal hmm. at all and it was really weird because i'm like going man there's some of the best studios in the world in nashville tennessee some of the best players in the world are here and certainly for, for 
ever have been the, some of the best songwriters in the world here. Yeah. And, and you go, wow. Um, the, the, the first time I noticed the actual respect, um, I had a meeting with, with a friend who was working at Lionsgate at the time. And my brother and I worked on a couple songs for this show called Nashville. And, and uh, I was out in L.A., and the buzz around Lionsgate was a show Nashville. And I'm like, wow, really? You know, and I didn't watch the show. I just did the music stuff. And, and then, you know, it wasn't a year later that Nashville massively changed. Everybody would come here to Nashville to, to go to the Bluebird Cafe. They, you know, that's a, it doesn't even seat 50, 60 people. And there would be lines, you know, at least, you know, 200 people deep to get into that place and every day you know every day all hours of the day there was lines because i lived in green hills <laughs> right yeah. not not too far from the place like oh my gosh what happened <laughs> and and then the tourism just just peaked and jumped and so that really kind of like it's like jump-started the interest in national and then, then you understand like oh you know how deep this music bed goes a lot of people from different different genres live and, and work here. My good friend Jonathan came from Journey, you know, own, you know, built a studio here, and, and uh, you know, like I said, just all, everybody, all the people that you would never guess live here in Nashville because they love the music. The community here is, is incredible. Mm. There's a lot of hard rock musicians from the '80s that I believe live there. Like Billy Sheen is one. I think Kip Hanger yeah. lives there. I think um, I think Brad Whitford lives there from Aerosmith, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Um, yeah. And uh, and Tom Kiefer. Um, Tom Kiefer, yeah. yeah I, I'm I just saw, wondering. Like, I saw Tom at, at a, I saw all my buddies at uh, at Sturgis one year. Okay. And I was like, I was like, man, oh my gosh, you know, it was, just, it was like a reunion. You know, I I didn't hang with Tom much, but I, I knew him and we knew of each other. And yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm just really wondering, cool. like, when you're going around Nashville, like, do you guys ever jam together? Or do you, do you run into these guys at all? No, I mean I worked with Billy Sheen, uh, you know, a little bit ago, and and uh, and we were talking about that, and, and it's like you know we just run in different circles, yeah, music music circles, and even though it's a very small town, uh, the music circles are are different, you know, it's you, know, you just run, it, I just run in different circles, so no, we don't we don't really we don't really jam a lot and that kind of stuff because because basically my day consists of I'm in the studio, you know, in my studio or studios around Nashville. Every week, and just getting out. That's, I just, I just make music. You know, I'm not like in the front and center of. I'm just kind of the behind the scenes kind of cat. You know, which, hmm. which is totally fine. Okay, now you've worked with many artists that aren't out that are outside what I call the hard rock genre, and they've sold oh, yeah. millions and millions and millions of albums. Right? Can you think of one of them that you maybe had a, a preconceived notion of what they were like, and when when you actually met them, they were really humble and down to earth. Yeah, you know, um, one in particular was a, a, a lady, Bonnie Tyler. I mean, God, I mean, she. I ended up producing a record on her. I don't know, five, four, five, six years ago, and and you know, I mean, she's a huge star. She sold ninety million records, and I figured she she'd come in and and you know, not be bossy, but just know what she wants and just kind of direct direct the room. And she was anything but that. She was the most kind, humble, amazing woman in. And uh, she was very, um, uh, I guess she, I won't say intimidated, but she, she was nervous about recording with somebody new because she had made all those records with Jen Steinman. And, and uh, she, her manager came to, 
took me to the side and said, hey, you know, you know, David, Bonnie doesn't, does not like, you know, anybody in the studio. I said, okay, that's fine. And then, uh, you know, I, I told everybody to go, I engineered and produced myself. And, and then he said, David, could you, would you mind putting curtains up? <laughs> so I was like, no, no problem. No problem. <laughs> and then, uh, it's the first time we did vocals together. Right. And so after, after a day or so, we moved to a different studio and then, and then Bonnie came over to me and, you know, Albert, just sweet accent. I mean, it's just beautiful. And she'd just say, I, I don't need curtains, David. <laughs> it, was, it was really sweet. It was just really kind. And it just shows somebody that sold all these records. And, you know, just it just shows how you make art. It's very, still very humbling to make, make art. And it's very, you know, it's very, uh, I don't know. It, it's a very intimate thing to make a record, you know, because you're, you're really, you're really, you don't have anything to hide yourself when you record. You know, it's, everything's under a microscope. But it, it, was, it was really interesting because she was she was the exact opposite of what you would think. You know, yeah. somebody that successful would be. She was just very kind. Okay. I mean, I worked with Stephen Stephen Tyler. What a sweetheart, man! I mean, you know, he's you know he's he's got a crazy personality and he's got crazy energy, but still just beautifully kind. You know, fun yeah. fun cat. David, you ever been starstruck meeting someone? Uh, I was starstruck meeting Michael Jackson and Beyonce. I, I will say that, yeah. Okay. I didn't work with them, but I, I, I met them at different award places, and yeah, it was, it was. You know, when they say people are stars, you, you know, there's a magnetic energy that some of these people have that's just, just incredibly powerful. <laughs> it's okay. pretty wild. Okay. Yeah. Um, last question on Nashville, and we'll wrap it up in a minute here. Um, how competitive is it out there now, though? Because surely once a place becomes successful, everybody wants to go out there. Everyone wants to know what the secret is. You know, who has the special sauce? Is, 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 it, is, it, is it really competitive out there now? Is it, has it changed a lot? Um, I'm trying to answer the second question. I don't, I don't think it's changed a lot. It's always been very competitive. You know, it's, it's, you know, everybody wants to work on when everything that's, that comes out of Nashville, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's, it's always been crazy competitive here. You know, it's, it's different in Los Angeles because it's, you know, I've lived in both places. I just think Nashville's a different kind of community. It's, uh, it's, it's very strange. It's so competitive, but it's like everybody is willing to help the other person too. Okay. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds. It's not a, I mean you got, you got people that are like you know same kind of like sharks and stuff like that here you know but but you know the successful people here are are very open to go hey man you know dude you should call this cat you know if I can't do it call this cat this, this cat's great so it's very it's a very cool community. Okay. So, very competitive. So David, what's up next for you? Are you working on so another hard rock project after doing the joint one or what's happening? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm in this in a band with with Brad Gillis and and uh and uh, Billy Sheen called a band called Skills. Who's the and singer? singer Rain, Rain, Rain. Who's the singer? Uh, he's okay, uh, sorry, my, my voice is giving out. It's Rainin. It's he's he's um came in with Bandy Strump, a great singer. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, that comes out this this uh uh spring. I think it comes out in in May. I think. Okay. So. Yeah, I've been doing that, and, and, and I, I always produce different kind of artists, and, and uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of all over the place. I produce, I've been producing some artists from Dubai, you know, during this pandemic, it's it's been interesting, but technology has been phenomenal. So 
So uh, it's been it's been good, man. It's just it's it's always I just love making records, you know. Yeah. I, I always look at I always look at Mutt Lang as an inspiration because he he made Def Leppard records. He made you know you know uh, he made the back in back in black yeah, yeah. ACDC, <laughs> and then he did Billy Ocean, and he, he freaking did you know Brian Adams, and he would do some other R and B. I mean, I mean, he the guy was just genius. So he, he just tre- treated songs and melodies, and just he just painted around that until so that that's kind of how i you know I, I would i aspire to 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 model my life like my in my musical life like yeah so so david were you able to get in the same room with billy then for this record because you live in the same town no no you know it, no we all did our stuff separately and, wow. and uh because because it was right during the you know the surge of omicron and it's and everybody had to be really careful so yeah it, it, it was it's just really it's just weird you know, it's just a weird time, and, and but you know, you, you you assimilate and you you adapt and overcome, and right, just that's kind of the nature of life. Yeah. So, so, fi- so final question, David: Do you think you're going to do any joint shows to promote this record at all? Yeah, we want to. Um, you know, I've got some friends records that I work on that that tour stadiums and arenas, and and they're you know they're like, oh my gosh, the live stuff is is you know our hot spots, you know, aren't, aren't even a third full, you know, and so, so it's hard to plan it. You know, it's hard to go, yeah, let's do a giant tour, you know, cause, cause they could just cancel any second. So, so we're just kind of waiting until like probably May or June just to kind of get the temperature of the land. Okay. Um, but we are in negotiations to, to film a live show. Um, I think we're trying to film the show in June in California, in Los Angeles. So, so, uh, so we're, we, we have, we're talks, we're in talks with the label to do that right now. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. we we want a tour. I mean, we with this lineup, we definitely want a tour. When is the last time you played any giant songs? Like you said a couple of years ago, you you did it with your brother, but yeah, before then was it was it like early nineties? You, you, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. What's crazy is, uh, but when we did this, I think it was two thousand seventeen or eighteen when we when we did that benefit. Yeah, um, and it was fun because we just we got together and rehearsed for about an hour and a half and then we went over and did it and we only did three songs okay but it was it was incredibly weird man because it just seemed like no time had passed it just everything was like muscle memory was right there and and dan called me up the next morning he's like dude that was really bizarrely cool <laughs> <laughs> you know it was, it was fun and he had more fun because he didn't have to sing you know he, he could just be a guitar player he was it, 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 it was it was cool and, and it was also cool that you know we played together again you know just brothers and I mean Mike included too but but you know Dan and I are, are we're blood brothers and yeah. it's well, I'm glad David it worked out because you hear these stories about guys getting back together and the minute they start playing one of them turns around and says no that's not the way it goes you're playing it wrong <laughs> No, we, we, man, it was, it was so, it was so natural and so fun. It was just, it was like, wow, you know, just brought back the greatest memories of, of that time in our lives. And, 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 and also the power of, of the music, you know, it's like, wow, it was pretty, it was, it was just, it was good, special, really special. All right. I'll put you on the spot. Last question, right? Oh yeah. The first two albums, which one is your favorite? The giant albums. Wow. Well, musically, I I couldn't pick. I I think the first one, because of just the time of it, and 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 it was just the first of the first. You know, it's like your first love is to be able to make a record in London, and just the excitement of the label was, 
you know, and, and followed up. The second one was, was as special, but, but when we, 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 we had a tour plan, a big tour in Europe, you know, like a two month tour or whatever. And it just, all everything canceled because of Pearl Jam and Nirvana, which are bands that we love by the way. So, you know, it wasn't like, like we're, we're pissed at, you know, it, we're, you know, bitter, bitter man in life because of that. Was that a headlining but, tour or, or was you, were you going out with someone else that when it got canceled? I, I don't remember. I think, I think we had built up a good enough audience. We could have probably done some headlining. It probably both, you know? Okay. But, but uh, the, the first one was really special making record, make, making a, an album and, and becoming the band. It was like, wow, it was pretty cool. And then, then we, then we toured and we rehearsed for a little bit. And it was like, we were bitching to our manager. We want to play live. And he said, just be, just be ready, be ready. And we get a call, you know, and next thing you know, we fly down to Miami. Our first shows in, in an arena with heart. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So David, the album's called Shifting Time. I have to say it's brilliant. Blew me oh. away. Richie, thank you, man. I, I, that I'll means be, a lot. I'll be honest with you. I, I never thought I'd see another giant record. <laughs> and I'm glad well, you did one. Thank you. Man, thank you. Hey, let me just say something to the, the fans. We are incredibly humbled and overwhelmed with the response we've received for this record from the, from the fans. And we are truly grateful for the support and, and, uh, and we, you know, like I said, we, we, we need a little bit of, you know, like demand to go out there and play, you know what I'm saying? From, mm-hmm. from fans. So we appreciate everybody, man. And we, we look forward to playing some shows. We really do. Yeah. Well, when you see your brother later, tell him I said, thanks for the music too, will you? I, I will. I'll tell him. He'll, 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 he'll get, a, get a big smile from him. All right, sure. David. Well, have a good rest of the day. Pleasure talking to you. Richie, thank you, my brother. Appreciate right, you, bud. Okay. All right, there is Richie's chat with drummer David Huff of Giant. All kinds of good stuff there. Definitely a busy guy. And, uh, you know, if you were into Giant and you like the earlier albums, then you probably want to go and check out this new one. In addition, you might want to check out Skills. I know that up on YouTube right now, they have at least one video up there from Skills for the uh, first single, Stop the World. And that is off of the uh, the new album from those guys, or I should say the debut album from those guys called Different World. It's due out sometime in May. And musically, I think that it is definitely, a, you know, really good. It does harken back to that kind of 80s vibe as well. You close your eyes and, you know, it's it's all there. You know, granted, only get one song here from the single and we probably even provided with a pre-release i just haven't listened to it but uh you know at least on that one song you know we got someone like billy sheen i'm used to hearing kind of more out of billy it's really basic from uh from billy for a change which is a little bit different but i think musically it's good vocally it's good as well visually it is kind of bizarre because uh Rainin, who is the uh, vocalist coming from electric mob that's who david couldn't remember uh, just visually, he doesn't go with Brad and Billy and David. You know, here's this dude with, you know, neck tattoos and huge gauges in his ears and, and all of that. He, But I will tell you, the guy does have an incredible voice to him. So sonically, it's all there. Just visually, it's it's a little bit, uh, a little bit offsetting. But definitely be on the lookout for that one. Like I said, the band is Skills, and that first album, Different Worlds, is supposed to be out in May. All right, anyways, I guess I'm just in the mood to start uh, postulating about crap. So I think that next week, or at least the next show coming up, I believe is going to be a chat with uh, Ty Tabor, talking all about his uh, latest Rat Pack release. 
Shades. So as a longtime Kings X fan, that should be a great interview between uh, Richie and Ty. So I think that is what we are doing for the next show. I also know that Richie's got some other stuff set up as well, including some chats with some folks out at the Palladium in Worcester as they roll through here on their tour schedule. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.